Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hey, 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 Sarah McKenzie here, your host for the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. I have got a great show for you today. So it can be hard to connect with our kids in this busy, noisy world, right? But we know that sharing books with our kids gives us a chance to be fully present. I'm a busy mom of six, and I totally know that when life feels crazy, spending just a couple minutes reading to my kids, those who are little and also the big ones, (laughs) those are the best minutes I can spend all day. It's the most important thing I get to all day. The great news is that connecting with our kids through books is a lot easier than it seems. In Read Aloud Revival Premium Access Membership, we do it in three simple steps. First, we equip ourselves, the parents, with masterclasses, cheat sheets, and booklets. Second, we inspire our kids with live video streams with the best authors and illustrators around. And then third, we connect with other families who are doing the same thing, who are making meaningful and lasting connections with their kids through books. Enrollment to Read Aloud Revival Premium Access opens just twice a year, and we're opening the doors again in October. So if you want to make sure you don't miss out when that happens, get on the waiting list. No commitment or anything. It just makes sure that you know when we open the doors. You can do that by popping your email into the page of rarmembership.com. That's rarmembership.com. Today's guest and I have some awesome book recommendations for you. Remember, you don't have to keep track of them all. All you have to do is head to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode 71. We've got all the notes from today's podcast for you right there. And I bet you'll recognize her if you're a longtime listener to the podcast. This is the second time we've had today's guest on. Without further ado, let's go take a listen. a longtime listener of the Read Aloud Revival podcast, you might remember today's guest, Caroline Star Rose. She was way back at the very beginning of Read Aloud Revival in season three. She joined us to talk about her first novel in verse, which was Maybe, and her second novel in verse, a beautiful historical novel called Bluebirds. And on the podcast, we talked about poetry read alouds for parents who are intimidated by poetry. We'll put the link to that episode in the show notes so you can listen. I am thrilled to have her back today to talk about two newer books and just to chat with her about her writing process, about sharing poetry with kids. 
I know we have lots of listeners at the Read Aloud Revival that are young writers, aspiring writers, kids who are writing stories and drawing pictures and love to tell stories with words. You're going to love today's podcast. I cannot wait to share Caroline with you. So Caroline, welcome back to the Read Aloud Revival. Thank you, Sarah. It's so fun to be chatting with you again. Oh, I love chatting with you. So I've been excited for a while ever since we got this on the calendar. So tell us, remind everyone who may not have listened last time and anyone who's new to you about your work, maybe you and your family. Let's start there. All right. So I am a mom. I have two boys. And actually, my 16-year-old is up at school today registering for his junior year. Wow. I know. And yesterday, I took my 14-year-old to register to be a freshman. So I've got two hulking teens, and I absolutely love this age. It's really, really fun. Love that you said that, because I have a couple teens now, too. And I keep thinking, this might be my favorite yet. Teens are so much fun. I'm telling you, there's this kind of this dialogue that goes back and forth. They are at an age where we can really play with our conversations. And it's just fun. I just I enjoy them as the, you know, as the young men that they've become. So it's been really special. So my husband, Dan, and I have been married for 22 years. And he's a pastor. I am a former teacher. And I have taught in New Mexico, Florida, Virginia, and Louisiana. You can't see me, but every time I have to talk, well, I talk through those states, I have to kind of point out an imaginary map to make sure <laughs> I, I get all of those places. But we are back in our hometown now in Albuquerque, which is a thrill for us. Each day we wake up and look at the beautiful Sandia Mountains and think, I can't believe we're actually here again. So it's a real thrill. I'm an author of five books. My fifth comes out in October. I write middle grade novels. So Books for 8 to 12-year-olds are sometimes classified as 10 and up, and then also picture books. And this summer marks 19 years of writing for me. The wow. summer of 1998, I sat down. This was in Florida when Dan was in seminary. And for years, I'd always said I wanted to write a novel. So I sat down and tried it. And it was awful, but it was a fabulous learning experience. And that summer set me up for the process of writing through the summertime editing and then sending out to editors during the school year. 19 years later, here I am. Okay, so tell us about your picture books as well. Yes. So my first picture book is called Over in the Wetlands. And it came out of the time that we lived in Louisiana. We moved to Louisiana just under two years after Hurricane Katrina. And I remember flying into New Orleans, and it really looked like the storm had just passed through maybe a week before. I know that our town, Homa, is an hour and a half southwest of, of um, New Orleans. And it was just part of daily conversation. Two years later, it was still part, the storm was still part of daily conversation. And what really struck me was to discover that how the wetlands of the Louisiana coast, of the, of the entire Gulf Coast, were slowly being destroyed. This, was, this felt like news that I should have heard in other parts of the country, but I'd never heard this before. And so I felt like I really wanted to write a story that celebrated the plants and animals of Louisiana, this really amazing place that I had come to love, but also brought information about the plight of the wetlands. Over in the Wetlands is a story, long story short, <laughs> about the plants and animals, well, the animals of Louisiana preparing for a hurricane. And the illustrations are so gorgeous. I love this picture. Very lovely. I love it. I love it. One of your brand new books, Jasper and the Riddle of Riley's Mine, is one of my very favorite reads all year. I loved this book. 
Jasper and the Riddle of Riley's Mine is a story about the Klondike gold rush in Alaska, which is something I didn't know anything about. I loved this book so very much. It is, it kind of flew to the one of the, the top of several of my favorite read aloud lists and read alone lists. I actually read it on my own <laughs> as I was traveling. I couldn't put it down. And I was telling my son about it. You have to read this book. Tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, maybe let's just give the listeners a quick little summary of what the book is about. And then we'll talk about the research because I'm imagining that you had to do a lot of research for this book. So Jasper is an 11-year-old boy living near Seattle. It's 1897. And he has a big brother named Melvin. And they both, they, they're living in a house that's kind of a sad place. Life is rough for them right now. Melvin comes home from work one evening with a newspaper that is going to change their lives. In this newspaper, it announces that gold has been discovered in the Klondike region of Canada. And Melvin decides that he's going to go and get this gold. Now, for years, the boys together have talked about getting away from home. So Jasper assumes that he is included in Melvin's plans. He's not. Melvin leaves on his own. Jasper runs away from home to follow him. And along the way, when the boys are reunited, they hear a legend about a man named One-Eyed Riley. And according to this legend, Riley had a mine worth millions of dollars in gold. He became so wealthy, he was willing to give this uh, mine away to the first person who can find it. In order to find the mine, somebody must first discover and then solve five riddles that will lead a person directly to this mine. So Jasper is determined he and Melvin will be the two to find One-Eyed Riley's mine. Okay. And the riddles are so much fun. I just found myself like I would staring out into space and then I would realize that what I was doing and what I was trying to do is piece them together and think, wait, did I miss something? Did I, (laughs) you know, like trying to piece them together and solve it as I was reading. So much fun. So First of all, where did the idea for writing the book come from? This actually came from three, or actually I, I should say three and a half things. So first of all, my boys, Noah and Caleb, really wanted me to write a book about a boy. You know, my first two novels are about girls. I think they both separately said to me in, in a couple of different occasions, Mom, are you ever going to write a book about a boy? <laughs> so I thought, you know, that's something I should, I should honor. I, would, I definitely need to consider doing that. So that was kind of the first seed. The second seed was planted actually years before that. Before the boys asked for a a book about a boy, I had been researching uh, Maybe, which is a book that takes place in Kansas on the frontier. But before I knew it was going to be in Kansas, I knew it was going to be a frontier story. I just didn't know especially where it would take place. So I was reading really broadly. And when I mentioned to my mom that I was researching the frontier, she handed me a book about Alaska, because that's the ultimate frontier, right? The last frontier in the United States. And in that book, the book was called The Women of the Klondike. So it was about both Alaska and Canada. And just for a little bit of um, background on the Klondike Gold Rush, the actual Klondike region is just across the border of Alaska. So the miners were in both areas. They had to travel through Alaska to get to Canada. So really, in some ways, Alaska claims the gold rush is their own as well. Hmm. I was reading this book and I just thought, my gosh, this is so fascinating. I really didn't, just like you, I really didn't know anything about the Klondike gold rush. The only thing I could remember from my school days learning about it was reading um, the 
Jack London's story to build a fire, which is so fabulous. I love that story. It's really bleak, but I love bleak things because I'm strange <laughs> that way. <laughs> I don't think I've read that one, actually. Oh, my gosh. Go read it, Sarah. Okay. So, I'm not sure I'm big on bleak, but okay, I'll read it. <laughs> I got to love the bleak. But uh, so that that just really intrigued me. The setting, this far off place that was just kind of mysterious. I thought, you know, someday maybe I'll write a book about it. And then the third thing that was part of this story is a man here in New Mexico, an eccentric millionaire named Forrest Fenn. Around the time I was starting to work with this book, this man had published a poem, a cryptic poem. He claims to have buried hidden treasure somewhere north of Santa Fe. He's from Santa Fe. It's somewhere north of Santa Fe and somewhere south of the Canadian border, somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And his treasure box has gold, it has gems. I mean, it's like something from a storybook. Wow. And this poem is supposed to direct you to the treasure. So the first person who can crack the code, very much like One-Eyed Riley in my story, mm-hmm. gets to keep the treasure. No one has found it yet. Unfortunately, two people, perhaps even a third. I read recently somebody has been lost and not yet discovered, but at least two people have lost their lives at this point trying to find the treasure. Oh my I, goodness. On a more positive note, that his Forrest Fenn's poem and his treasure were part of the idea behind Jasper. So a book about a boy, the Klondike, because I was fascinated with it, Forrest Fenn's treasure. And then that's my three. And then the half thing that is connected is... Huckleberry Finn. When I committed to writing a book about a boy, I thought back through my mind about the most amazing boy character I could ever have thought up, or anybody has ever thought up. I certainly couldn't have thought this guy up. And my mind immediately went to Huck Finn. He is just a remarkable kid. What a great character, you know, from the book that many people consider the great American novel. And so I decided that Jasper would be based on Huck. And so that's where the story comes from. I think I've heard you say that before, that Jasper was based partly on Huck. And as soon as you said it, I thought, "Uh uh-huh, I can totally see it now. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I really hope that kids someday, you know, of course, they would read Huckleberry Finn later in life than they would read Jasper. But I hope that there'll be kids who first read Jasper and then later read Huck and think, Oh, I kind of, this kind of reminds me of that book I read when I was younger, that one called Jasper. That would, that would tell me. What was researching this book like? Or maybe the better question I should ask, especially for our young listeners who love to know like the nitty gritty behind writing a book. How long did you spend researching and what kind of things did you do to research the book? That's a great question. I typically take six months before I do any writing researching. And I think for this book, it was that length of time. I know for Bluebirds, it took me nine months before I started writing anything. Jasper was a little tricky because it was a part of a two book deal. So the first book that I sold was Bluebirds. The second book was Jasper. So I had to learn how to both do the research and the drafting for Jasper while I was also working on Bluebirds. So that was a a pretty steep learning curve for Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. But what I did was set aside roughly six months of time just to immerse myself in the Klondike. And I, what I like to do for each a new book that I work on is to get myself a brand new journal. I really love blank journals. And that becomes my place to capture everything. I write down questions. I write down all sorts of facts. I paste in maps. 
all sorts of things. So I went back through my notes in preparation for this discussion, and I see that I read 13 nonfiction books to learn about the Klondike. Oftentimes, I start with books for kids. I go to the juvenile section of the library because you get a really quick and good overview of whatever time period or whatever topic you're selecting. But then also in the back, in the bibliography section, you will find a great list of meteor books that you can then dig into. And so that's a great place to always start in the children's section. I would not have even thought of that. That's brilliant. It really is great. And then I watched two television series about the Klondike. My husband and I actually took a cruise to Alaska, which was really exciting for our 20th anniversary. So this is the first time I ever have gotten to visit a place that I've written about. We visited Oracle Park. Yes, it was a thrill. And that was in Skagway, which ends up, that's Skagway, Alaska, Mm -hmm. which ends up the story. And then I also read five novels and one thesis in preparation for the writing. One of the novels was, of course, Huck Finn. I wanted to reread that to get a sense of the storyline, Huck's character, his language, because that's something that, again, the way Jasper speaks is in a lot of ways a hat tip to, to Huckleberry. I read some other Gold Rush books. The thesis that I read was from a student in a Master of Fine Arts program at a school called the Vermont College of Fine Arts, which specializes in degrees for children's literature. And it was called Huck's Legacy, The Complex Nature of the Humorous First-Person Storyteller. So I was really fortunate to have access to this thesis all about characters that have been based on Huck Finn, what they're like, what his his makeup was, his strengths, his weaknesses. It really, really was. It was. I struck gold, Sarah. I struck <laughs> you struck gold. gold. That's love it. <laughs> okay, and while you're reading and doing all this research, you're taking notes in that journal. Just things you don't want to forget. Things that strike yeah. you as surprising or whatever. Okay. Yeah, and one one thing I like to do, I start with library books, but if I can, I like to purchase books so that I can. The easiest way for me to read is first to read and highlight along the way, and then I go back and write down quotes from the books that I've highlighted in my journal. So it's like I, I'm reading twice essentially with a book from the library. I'm happy to take notes along the way, but I prefer to own the books so that I can mark it up. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bookmarking person too, for sure. Yeah, this is totally a tangent. Do you use book darts? Have you seen them? I have seen them, but I have not used them. They look really fun, though. They are really fun. My friend Ann Bogle got me hooked on them a few months ago. And now I buy, I compulsively buy more tins because like all the books I read have these book darts in them. And the idea being that you use the book dart, it's like a little thin metal arrow, a tin full of them, and you slide them onto the side of your page and they point directly to the passage you want to remember. So I'll keep them near me while I'm reading and I'll stick them in. And then afterwards, I can go back and take the book dart out and copy the passage into my reading journal. Nice. And yes, which is great when it works. And I unfortunately have a lot of books that have book darts in them that I haven't copied yet into my reading journal. <laughs> it's, I like it. I like it, especially because my girls do not like it when I mark in books. And it keeps me from writing in the... Although I still prefer to write in the book if I if it's mine. I'll write in it, you know, till the cows come home. But right. Well, with library books, I reuse and reuse and reuse stickies. Which, okay. You know, there's only so long those guys are going to stick. So this is a good idea. <laughs> We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called 
three simple steps to a fairy tale summer, and here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? <laughs> fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. Okay, so now let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about a brand new book that hasn't been released yet. We're going to put a link in the show notes so that anybody listening can pre-order it. I'm really excited about it. I've gotten a little sneak peek at pieces of it. It's called Ride On Will Cody. Tell us about this picture book. Oh my goodness. This I say this with every book, but I actually, I deeply, deeply mean it. This one is really close to my heart. So Ride on Will Cody came about as a result of a family trip that we took in 2012. We went up to Denver together in the summer for a week or so. And we had a day trip up to Golden, which is north of Denver. And along the way, I happened to see a sign that said, kind of pointing a certain direction toward a Buffalo Bill Museum. And I thought, what in the world? Why is Buffalo Bill in Colorado? I had no idea. So I said, hey, guys, can we just go up to this museum for some time? This would be, you know, indulge me for a moment. So we drove up this mountain to the crest and there was this museum. Evidently, Buffalo Bill spent his last days in Golden, Colorado, and his grave is there. So that was really kind of fun to see. This museum was fascinating. And it's just all the sorts of things I love to write about. As I was walking through the exhibit, I saw, you know, lots of grit and determination and, you know, just a larger than life character. And I thought I kind of put in the back of my mind, I'd like to write a Buffalo Bill story someday. So the following January, I pulled all sorts of books from the library, again, starting with children's nonfiction, and just kind of read as broadly as I could about his life. I expected my story was going to focus on his older years when he had his Wild West show. But what I was really drawn to was a legend. And we're going to use a capital L for this legend, because according to historians now, they're pretty sure it's not true. Okay. But according to legend, Buffalo Bill claimed to have ridden for the Pony Express two different times. He said when he was 14, and then he went home for a time, and then he came back when he was 15. And this story is supposed to recount one of those rides that he had when he was 15. He claimed to have the third longest ride in Pony Express history. It covered 322 miles. It took over 21 hours and required 21 horses. Oh my goodness. I know. Now, a typical ride for uh, for a full day of work for a Pony Express rider would be about 70 to 75 miles. So just imagine what that would have taken. The stamina, you know, there was no rest. The only time he stopped was to switch horses. So whether it was actually his story or not, you know, whoever took this ride, it's just an incredible thing. 
Okay. And this is a picture book that's written in verse, right? This is, yes. And my two picture books are uh, in rhyming verse. So yes. the only thing I've, I've rhymed up to this point is is uh, in my picture books. Okay. And actually, let me distinguish that for our young listeners, Um, actually. So when we say a book written in verse, that's a book written in poetry. Rhyming verse, of course, are poems that rhyme. And then there are Caroline Star Rose's historical middle grade novels, Maybe and Bluebirds are both novels written in verse, but they're non-rhyming. And then Jasper and the Riddle of Riley's Mind is your first book you've written in prose. Is that right? Yes. And that was a huge change. There was so much to learn. Okay. So Prose Kids is a book that's written not in poetry or not in verse. It's what you're normally reading when you're reading a, a chapter book or a novel or you're reading a prose. So tell me, Caroline, I'm really interested. What's harder for you, writing in verse or writing in prose? Prose is absolutely harder for me. So the first three uh, manuscripts I wrote, I won't call them books because they never became books, but the first three manuscripts I wrote were prose. And it wasn't until I wrote Maybe that I, it was, it just felt like the most honest, close to the bone piece of writing I'd ever created. And it was really like I was coming home to my first language. I don't know how else to describe it. Since then, now that I have written a prose novel and actually published it and had to do all the hard work with an editor who kindly pointed out all the ways that I needed to improve it. Uh, uh, Prose is the challenge, but with a poem, you have, you're working with the white space as well as the, as the language. And so there's, it's, it's just more brief, it's more spare, and it's just kind of the way that I think, I guess. One of the questions we hear kids ask all the time is, how long does it take you to write a book? So I'd love to hear how long it took you to write both Jasper and write on Will Will Cody. As I said earlier, Jasper was part of a two book deal. So it was one of those unique situations where before I had written a word, um, I hadn't even told my editor (laughs) my idea. (laughs) So that was both flattering and terrifying at the same time to think that I had a new project under contract that didn't even exist in my mind yet. Yeah. But that book sold in April of 2013 and then came out in February of 2017. So that's four years. Yeah. Wow. Just somebody pointed out to me at my launch party for the book. She said, you know, that's basically a college degree. I'm like, you know what? That's right. That is right. <laughs> I'm just thinking my twins just turned four and I feel like, you know, it's been a long four years. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Okay. That was a perfect comparison. I and That's actually funny because now let's compare it to Write on Will Cody. I wrote that in January of 2012 and it was on submission for 35 months. So that's one month less than three years. So wow. I thought about a young child the whole time that book was out there thinking, I could have had like given birth to a child and had a full-blown toddler in the length of time. <laughs> be like potty trained by now. Yeah. <laughs> And this book, and this is really interesting. I have to share this. So remember what I said, the third longest ride in Pony Express history? Mm-hmm. This book basically took three years to sell. Do you remember how many hours and how many horses that it required? Over 21 hours and 21 horses. I got 21 rejections for this book before I found my yes. Wow. And that, it still gives me goosebumps because I think about, I was sure this book, I actually, the spring of, I guess it was last year, the book sold. That spring, I took a week off of writing. I was just really discouraged. I had several manuscripts and several of them are still out there circulating. 
I'm not sure if they ever will have a future or not, but, you know, hope springs eternal. But I really had to come to the point and grieve this book. I felt like it's one maybe is not going to have a future. You need to be able to let it go and maybe just not write for a little bit. I spent some time reading and grieving and just kind of getting my head in a, in a healthier place. And just a few weeks later, my agent contacted me and said, your book is going to acquisitions, which means it's passed through the first two rounds at a publishing house. First, it needs to meet with the approval of the editor that you've sent it to. And then at many houses, the next step is the editorial board, which uh, all the editors in the house will come together and talk about manuscripts. It passes on to the final step, which is the acquisitions board that includes the publisher and the marketing department and basically everybody. Now, here's the trick though. So while it was on submission, one editor, you know, I got all these no's. One editor did send a note to my agent asking for me to resubmit and rewrite. So it's called an R&R. Basically, she made no promises, but she gave some directions saying, if you will consider looking at the book again and making some of these changes, I would like to see it a second time. So I spent several months making changes. As much as verse feels like my first language, when I'm rhyming, I have set a lot of limitations. Limitations actually bring me a lot of freedom. I feel like, I know that sounds weird, <laughs> but using this story uses rhyme, repetition, and Rhythm. Rhythm, rhythm, rhyme, and repetition. Those are the three R's that I have used in both of my picture books up to this point. And somehow those limitations help me find the story. I feel like it's a puzzle that I'm trying to put together. And knowing that these boundaries are in place means that someday I will be able to find which piece belongs where, that a solution will come about. But it does mean that sometimes it's, it takes a lot of work to find exactly the right words to tell the story. So I spent a few more months working on that, sent it back to my agent. She sent it back to the editor. She held on to it for 10 months and ultimately said no. Wow. So that was really disappointing. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you know what? When the book sold, I sent her a quick note saying, I want you to know the book sold. And I really think a large part of that is because of the hard work that you had me do. So thank you for helping me to improve the book. And she was really gracious about that. So, you know, uh, my favorite thing to say about writing is that writing is never efficient but no effort is ever wasted. You're constantly learning. And while it might not seem like you're producing a lot, especially when I'm writing a picture book, this is my picture books are both around 300 words. So to spend weeks and weeks first producing 300 words and then months revising 300 words, I mean, talk about inefficient. But that effort was not wasted. I learned, even if the book had never sold, that effort would have not been wasted because I was improving my work. I was improving my voice, my ability to communicate, and just experiencing a story, being in the midst of the writing, there's deep satisfaction in that. In our Read Aloud Revival Premium Access Forum, we had a question from Sarah Gentry, and she wants to know when a good age you think is to introduce kids to novels in verse. She says wow. uh, she knows of many great ones, but they seem targeted to kids ages 10 and up. Do you have any to recommend for kids under 10? I do. Now, I can't promise that I've read all these. I have to tell you, I still have tons to learn about, well, basically everything in the world. <laughs> in, this in this particular moment, uh, we'll, we're talking about verse novels. So I still have so much to learn. But I have pulled up four that, that skew for the younger side of middle grade. So maybe around eight. So, you know, as early as second or third grade, if your reader is astute, I can recommend Gone Fishing by Tamara Wissinger. 
Love That Dog by Sharon Creech, Little Dog Lost by Marion Dane Bauer, and Like Pickle Juice on a Cookie by Julie Sternberg. <laughs> That's a hilarious title. I have never heard of that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't read that one, but isn't it, doesn't it make you want to pick up? It does. It totally does. Okay. So we'll put all links to all of those books in the show notes for episode 71. So if you're going, ah, I didn't have my pencil, just go to readaloudrevival.com, look for episode 71, and we'll have them all there for you. Do you think there's a particularly good age to start reading verse novels? And actually, I should mention that the last time we talked, I think one of the things you recommended that I've really tried to do with my own kids is that when you're reading aloud a novel in verse, having your child sit next to you and looking at the page, because verse says as much by how it's laid out on the page. So it's important to see it as well as hear it, right? Yeah, I feel like I, I used to tell my students poetry should be seen and heard and ideally seen, heard and spoken so that, you know, you can, you really experience poetry most fully when you're engaging a couple of different senses and getting to see the words on the page is a, is a, is excellent because you work, you get to see how the story is communicated. Now I have to tell you, Sarah, since then, I, I've always felt really strongly about this, but I listened, it took me this long. It took me, gosh, I think it was last winter. I listened to my first verse novel on an audiobook, Uh huh. and it was the spectacular, we've talked about this book before online, The Crossover by Kwame Alexander. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So I was driving home from a school visit in a small town in northern New Mexico, and I took this book as my kind of my companion on the way. I, when the book ended, I wanted to pull over and applaud. It was yeah. that magnificent. Yeah. The language was incredible. And the thing is, I have not yet seen this book as a book, I've only listened. And so if I was able to, to get that much from the story simply by listening, imagine getting to see it as well. So I don't want to give the impression that you must never listen to poetry. Yeah, yeah. You absolutely can. But I think you even can gain more from seeing it as well as hearing it. I have heard that Brown Girl Dreaming read aloud is read aloud by Jacqueline Woodson herself. <gasps> Actually, funny story about reading it. <laughs> I was reading it to myself in bed. My husband comes out to go to bed and He's kind of looks around the room and he says, are you reading aloud to yourself? <laughs> and I said, well, it's in verse. It wants to be said out loud. But you could see that as I'm reading it silently to myself. It's like I couldn't just leave the words on the page. I had to speak them. It's like it begs me to, sit, to read it aloud. So I was reading aloud the book to myself. But I want to listen to it read by Jacqueline Woodson, too, because I can just totally see how even just listening to those, you know, on a drive or on a walk or something would be really moving. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I'm excited for Ride On Will Cody to come out. Again, listeners, we're going to have links to all the books and things we talked about today at readaloudrevival.com. Look at episode 71 and definitely check out Caroline's website, which is Caroline Star with two R's, rose.com. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. There's a lot of really great resources there at her website. Caroline, thank you so very much for coming on the show. It was absolutely my pleasure, Sarah. Thank you. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hi, my name is Maddie. I am nine, and I live in Medford, Oregon. My favorite book is the Geronimo Stilton series because they are hilarious books. Bye. Hi, my name is Hosanna, and... I live in Minnesota, and I'm four and a half 
and I'm going to be five in May 15, and my sister's away at Iowa, is so funny, and my favorite book is Pray by Me, and I like it because Irene gets covered up with snow and gets to the ball. Hi, my name is Elsa, and three years old, and then the beast turned back in the woods. And off they went, they lived happy ever after. And the what end. book is that in? Beauty and the Beast. Hi, my name is Miles Crawford. I'm nine years old and I live in Missoula, Montana. My favorite book is Ember Falls. I like the part where Picket flies over the battlefield. Hi, my name is Jasper. I am six years old and I live in Missoula, Montana. My favorite books are the Nate the Great series. I like it when Oliver's trash can is somehow tipped over. Nate the Great tries to find out why. My name is Antonio. I'm nine years old. I live in Portugal. My favorite book is Five on a Treasure Island by Annie Flatton. My name is Francisco. I'm 11 years old. I live in Lisbon, Portugal. My favorite book is Fortunately the Milk by Neil Gaiman. Hello, my name is Georgia. I'm five years old. I live in Tennessee. And my favorite book is Where's My Sweetie Pie? Because I can read most of the parts and I like when you open the, the animals and I like in this pocket, in this locket, that it was my sweetie pie and then there I am. Hello, my name is Ella. I'm four and a half years old and I live in Florida and my favorite book is Brown Hedge. And my favorite characters are Primrose and Wilfred. And I like what they have and what they do. And I like the illustrations on the cover of the book. That's what the details are. And that's what I really like. So, bye. My name is Lexi Ushmel, and I'm five years old. I live in Lexington, Kentucky. My favorite book, Little Mommy. Because I like how she teaches her Hi, my name is Gabriella. I live in California and I'm almost nine. My favorite book read aloud to me is The Green Ember. Every chapter ends in a cliffhanger. It's full of action and excitement. Heather and Pickett are siblings, but when disaster strikes, they have to leave their home. This tells all about their adventure and the war going on in their world. Awesome. Thanks, kids. Love it. I love hearing the books that you like to read. If your kids would like to leave a message for the Read Aloud Revival, go to readaloudrevival.com and look for the Start Recording button in the lower left hand of the page. We can edit and clean those up. So if you have a really young child and you just need to have a conversation with them, that works too. You can coach your child and they can repeat after you, all that good stuff. We can make it sound great. Everybody in our Read Aloud Revival community loves hearing from your kids. So make sure you do that readaloudrevival.com. Don't miss your chance to join Read Aloud Revival Premium Access Membership. It's truly where we have the very best resources to help you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids. You can get on the waiting list so that you don't miss that announcement when we open the doors. 
by going to rarmembership.com. You want to do that soon because once we open and close the doors in October, we don't do it again until spring. So you don't want to miss it. We have just wait. Oh, I cannot wait to tell you about all the people we have coming authors and illustrators we have coming to Read Aloud Revival Premium Access next year. So get on that waiting list so you don't miss those announcements. All right. Hey, until next week, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Thank you.